I have a, a daunting and dangerous question to ask us this week. At least it feels that way to me. Here's the question. For what, for what, would I do away with every previous plan I have and trust that it was worth it? Let's leave it on the screen right there for just a second longer. For what would I do away, for what would I do away with every previous plan I have and trust that it was worth it? Today we have two parables, back to back. They are parables of discovery. All summer long we're pressing into the parables and our our job is to press into these uh, today. Two parables, back to back. They're parables of discovery, but it's not the discovery that's actually the point of these parables. I think it's about the decision forced by the discovery that's made. We have two different characters. One, a man, a merchant. One, a man, a farmer. Both of them placed in a situation to have to decide. And then their decision is to do away, to sell everything that they have. That's their decision. For what? For what? Would I do away with everything? Would I do away with every previous plan I have and trust that it was worth it? Here we go. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid again. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. uh, Jesus often uses parables to talk about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, What is that? What does that mean? Well, if you've been around a while, you know that oftentimes I'll say the same thing over and over again. I like to go back to the beginning of the story, not just the beginning of the biblical story in Genesis, but the beginning of our story, the story of creation. It says that at the beginning, when God created the world, God didn't just create the world to look a particular way, but God created the world to work together in a particular way, everything working together for the benefit of everything else, humming along like a well-oiled machine. Uh, The old rabbis called this state of being shalom, which means peace, but it's more than peace that's the absence of violence. It's peace that's harmony and flourishing. Again, everything working together like a well-oiled machine, as it should be. In fact, that's just the word that God chose uh, to use it. In Hebrew, the word tov, when God steps back and looks at everything that's been made, God says, this thing is tov. It's good, good down deep, as it should be. But this world as it should be is is not the world that we currently inhabit. Our world is not humming along like a well-oiled machine. Uh, It clicks and clacks against itself. But since the very beginning of time, God has promised not to leave us alone in our brokenness, but that God would restore us to shalom, to toviness once more. And in fact, when Jesus comes on the scene, that's exactly what Jesus says. But Jesus comes with some really good news. Jesus says that That this way of being is not just some future reality in some distant existence where God is, but that God is going to inhabit the world, right? That that the the way of God, the will, the way that God has designed us to be, that it's actually possible for us to experience that even now. And Jesus in his death and resurrection, we believe, is what made it possible for us to experience this fullness of life, uh, not just in heaven, but on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus talked about this reality, he called it the kingdom of God, or in Matthew, the kingdom 
of heaven. It's the will and the way of God. It's the way we're designed, hardwired to exist together. It's, it's God's way of being. It's toviness. It's shalom. And often, because this is not something that's easy for us to imagine, right? Because we're so stuck in our own realities and the way things just work in the real world, Jesus would use parables, everyday, ordinary items and stories, things that people would understand and get, to help them access the part of their imagination that could dream of something more possible, could dream of what it's like to exist in the the kingdom of God and the will and the way, the shalom, the tobiness, the fullness, the wholeness that God has intended for all of us. And here we hear Jesus saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like one who discovers and then decides, decides to risk everything in order to possess, in order to access, in order to be a part of this, this thing of great value. It's the same story told twice but differently at the same time. Um, I want to look at the characters just for a second because I think that they're interesting, if nothing else. Um, and I want to look at them in reverse order. So let's start with the second one, the merchant. A man, a merchant, it says. Um, now, a merchant in our day and time is a person that's you know respected, socially acceptable for sure. Uh, we might call them a small business owner, and we know that everybody wants the small business owners to vote for them, so they must be important, right? Small business owners are people that we respect. They do right by their people. They're a part of a community. But a merchant at the time was not someone that was well-respected like this. In fact, when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, I suspect people in the crowd would have said, what? This cannot be so. I mean, merchants had bad reps. Let's not forget that when Jesus goes into the temple and flips the tables over on people who are selling things, those folks are merchants. Uh, there's actually a phrase, an expression from around the time of Jesus that says uh, that merchants are famous for buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Merchants were people often who would cross international uh, borders, which means they were in unclean places. And then they would buy things and sell them at a price to take advantage of the people that they sold them to, uh, oftentimes becoming very rich by taking advantage of, of others. And this particular merchant was one who searched for fine pearls. Nobody in Nazareth who Jesus is talking to would have ever even seen a pearl. A pearl was like more precious than even rubies, like uh, the most precious of all gemstones. They, they wouldn't have seen them. And I mean, a pearl's not even a kosher thing, right? It comes from a oyster. So like it's a shellfish. They, it, this would have been the most foreign of concepts for the people that Jesus is talking to. But he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who, you know, seeking fine pearls. Again, and that word seeking is even important. This is the same word Jesus uses when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. It's the same word that he, if you seek, you will find when you seek me with all your heart. Like this is, this is a merchant being cast in a very unmerchant like light. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who discovers this one pearl of extreme value. And upon discovering it, sells all that he has, turns it all in. What do you call a merchant that doesn't have any merchandise? an owner of one pearl, <laughs> like he's not even going to sell the pearl, right? He just sold everything to buy it. Why is he going to sell it? It doesn't make any sense. His whole life has shifted. He is no longer a merchant, but that's what the kingdom of God is like. Now, the first person is someone that they would have definitely known, right? The first person's a farm boy, not even a landowner. I mean, by the end of the parable, he owns the land, but to start off with, uh, he does not own land. Uh, he's probably maybe not at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, but he's not far from it, right? He's probably a steward or a sharecropper or a foreman. 
Uh, but basically, he's just an ordinary person like most of the people who are probably listening uh, to Jesus. He himself is not a person who would have ever seen a pearl. Uh, a pearl would have been, you know, just something that he fantasized about. But it does say that he discovered some treasure on his own. Now, I think of like digging up buried treasures like just a totally pirate thing to do. And that doesn't seem like a part of my everyday life. But for them, it would have been, lo and behold. Oftentimes, people in the in, in this day and time um, would bury things that were important to them um, to protect it from being stolen, uh, to protect it from uh, for the like further generations down the line. So, for instance, when uh, the Israelites were carried off into Babylon, they would have buried their treasures uh, in their homes, and then they would have like passed it down to their kids where they could find it, so that when they got to go back home from Babylon, they would have you know had the family wealth would have been buried right there underneath them. And the Roman Empire is currently occupying the Holy Land, and they know this. Um, and so they would actually arrest people and torture them to tell them where they could go dig up uh, their family treasures. So it would not have been all that crazy for someone plowing a field that hadn't been plowed in a while to all of a sudden discover that there was some buried treasure there. This was a more of a, co- a common part of life than I might uh, have assumed otherwise. And so with joy, With joy, he goes and sells everything that he has, clothing and food and provision and home in order to buy this field. He goes in that day from being someone who worked someone else's land to maybe even having people who worked his. Changed. Everything's different on the other side of this discovery and this decision. So with joy, he goes and sells everything. So we have these two people that seem like they're on opposite ends of lots of spectrums, right? You've got the merchant. a, an exotic person that no one would have known, um, and he's seeking, he's looking for something precious and important. And then you've got this like everyday dude that we all know that lives right down the street, and he accidentally discovers something. He stumbles upon something. Both of them discover. But then it's the exact same pattern after that. There is this implicit decision that what they have discovered is worth it. It's worth it. And so they go out and sell every single thing they have in order to have it. It changes their future. They they enter into new professions on the other side. They enter into a new way of being with their family and friends on the other side. Everything is different on the other side of this decision that they make. And what keeps coming, like what I keep coming back to is this just like how risky that moment is for them. To sell everything is to risk everything. But the urgency, it seems, is so essential that the risk becomes secondary. The risk, uh, the, the fear is replaced. It's like forgotten about. And it's replaced with joy, right? The farmer, with joy, he sells everything. Even before he's purchased the field, with joy, he sells it. Rich and poor, seeking and discovering, both of them, all of us, no matter where we find ourselves on the spectrum of life, All of us are forced to decide, right, when we discover something that's truly worthwhile. For what? For what? Would I do away with everything, with every previous plan I have, and trust that it was worth it? Neither of these characters hedge their bets. They're both all in, right? They hitch themselves uh, to their to their newly discovered treasure. They hitch themselves to the kingdom of God. I, I, I am by nature, I think, a hedger, right? Like I always have a backup plan in mind. I always have, I want to make sure I have enough 
for whatever it is that I might need. I want to make sure that my people have enough, right? Um, so even if I'm not around, that they'll have enough to get by or to sustain life. I want to make sure that I have a plan. I want to make sure that I have a backup plan and probably a backup plan for that. And if that backup plan fails, an escape route. Like that's that's who I am. That's who I am. I think I am by nature a, a hedger, right? A hedger of bets. And so when I read the story of these two characters and I see that they don't and that Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like one whose life is defined by their willingness to be attentive to and then to respond when they have discovered something of ultimate worth. For what would I stop hedging, <laughs> right? What would make not hedging worth it? For what For what would I do away with every previous plan that I have and trust that it was worth it? Maybe another way of asking this question, because I mean, it's, a, it's an easy question to answer. If I ask you like, hey, like for the sake of a relationship, a vital relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what would you give away? What would you say? Everything, right? Why? Because that's the Sunday school answer. That's what we say. I've been thinking a lot about relationships lately. It feels like there's a lot of people in my life whose relationships are hurting. Like I ask myself the question, I love my wife more than, oh my gosh, more than myself. Like what would I not give in order for that relationship to be healthy and whole? Like what would I, what would I not, you know, spend? What would I not not do? What would I not change or uh, be challenged with in my life for the sake of that relationship? Oh, I'd do anything, right? Maybe, maybe. That seems like the easy answer. But if I really let this question confront me, I have to like I have to reckon with this notion that there are things that I'm always holding back, a hedger by nature. There are things that I'm always holding back and, and not giving up until I have to or am asked to or, or feel like it's worth it or not going to change or be transformed until I have to or until I must. This question feels like a dangerous one to me. For what? For what would I do away with every previous plan I have and trust that it was worth it? What would it take for me to stop hedging and hitch myself uh, fully to the kingdom of God? I'm going to let you answer this question for yourself, and I'm not going to answer this question on the internet. <laughs> uh, but I think it's a crucial question for us to ask. And, and I trust, uh, I trust that you'll spend some good time, good time asking it this week. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, God of the merchant and God of the farm boy, God of the seeker and God of the stumbler upon, we ask that you will sit with us in the midst of this confronting question that you'll sit with us uh, even when we're hedging our bets, when we're holding back things that would allow us to know you or to be known by you, uh, even when we're holding back things that, that you would like for us to let go of in order to have the life that you dream of and design for us. We ask not this, that you would sit with us and be patient with us while we uh, process these things, but that you would help us. Help us sell all that we have so that in the end, you could say that the kingdom of God is like our life. We pray these prayers uh, in the name of the one, 
in the name of the one who gave away all that he had, did not regard equality with you or throne in heaven as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, gave himself away for us. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, And while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquay Verena area. Um, fvumc.org slash give would help you uh, join with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquay Verena United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing it again soon.